This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Health and Living with me, Lim Su An. The human body changes physiologically as you age, and that includes your muscles. But why do some older adults tend to lose muscle mass while others don't? And how can we maintain good muscle health as we age? On today's episode of Healthy Aging, consultant geriatrician Dr. Terence Ong weighs in on why we should talk about sarcopenia and whether it is inevitable that we will lose our muscles as we age. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Terence. No, welcome. Pleasure to be invited. Now, perhaps I'll start by getting you to explain, right? What exactly happens to um, our muscles as we age? You know, how does aging affect it? Okay, so I think uh, we first have to recognize that uh, the muscle, the skeletal muscle, is just like any other organ in the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the heart, the lungs, the brain, the kidneys. Where, with time, as we get older, uh, its ability to perform is not going to be as good as what it was when we were younger. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the unfortunate inevitables of aging. So to see a decline in muscle performance as we get older is unfortunately quite common. So is inevitable, which was what you were sort of alluding to, and I think it's something that we could perhaps explore. But we know that if you look around us, there are some older people that do lose muscle, but some still seem to preserve it relatively well. Mm-hmm. Um, so which tells us that just because you're getting older does not necessarily mean your muscles are also going to deteriorate or at the rate that one would worry about. Mm. So then bringing in sarcopenia, right? Mm. What exactly is it? Okay. So sarcopenia is a relatively new term. I think, um, let me rephrase that. I think as a term, it's been in existence for quite a number of decades now. But as a diagnosis, um, it came to the fore so around 2016. So now if you look up sarcopenia under the International Classification of Diseases, which is how the WHO categorised something as a disease or not, it's been there since 2016. In terms of what it is, now, um, we've talked about muscle and muscle strength earlier on, but when we think about how our muscles perform, it's not just a matter of strength alone. Mm-hmm. Um, let me give you maybe an example would be like, you have three different sports people. You've got a, 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 a weightlifter, you've got a badminton player, and you've got uh, a sprinter. What they do with their muscles is very different. I mean, one needs to be able to uh, weight heavy lifts, uh, one needs to be able to uh, run really fast, and one needs to cover a wide area as a badminton player. So how muscles perform differ for different individuals. So for the longest time, people have tried to sort of find a way of describing whether someone's muscle is good or not. Strength alone perhaps doesn't really cut it, mm. okay? Because a weightlifter will probably have stronger muscle strength than a badminton player, but that doesn't mean that badminton player's muscle is not as good. So over time, um, there was a consensus that built up and very much alluded to the fact that to report muscle health, we need to think about it in very much three terms. Firstly is muscle strength, how strong your muscles are. Secondly is the size of your muscle, the bulk of it. Uh, And one would imagine, you know, the bigger the bulk, perhaps the bigger the strength. So Mm -hmm. muscle size comes into the fore. But the third aspect is the muscle's performance, what you do with it. And it's on the back of this tree that led to the diagnosis of sarcopenia. So you've got to have impairment in either um, muscle size, muscle strength, 
or muscle performance, two of those three, to say that you are sarcopenia. Now, so if you imagine, as we perhaps get older, muscle strength, muscle size, muscle performance declines. Mm -hmm. And when it declines to a degree, when it passes a certain threshold, that's where we can say someone has sarcopenia. And maybe an example that I can think of is high blood pressure. Blood pressure goes up, goes up, goes up. But at some point, it has to pass a certain threshold where we say, aha, this is hypertension. Mm -hmm. This is high blood pressure. Same with muscle. It declines to a certain point, passes a threshold. And once it passes that threshold, whether it be in strength, size or performance, that becomes diagnostic of sarcopenia. I guess on average, how much of that decline are we seeing as someone ages? And at what age would that usually begin? Because we, we might think that it only starts when you reach that older adult mm. phase at 60 or 65, but does it begin much earlier? Much earlier. So we, when, we look about, when we look at muscle, we need to consider it over a, what we call a life course approach. Mm-hmm. So when we're born, uh, when we grow up uh, as children, as teenagers, even as young adults, we put on muscle. Okay, so muscle uh, gets built, gets put on, um, and when we hit about sort of our 30s, mid-30s or thereabout, that's where, unfortunately, uh, we start to see muscle starts to decline. But it starts to decline at a much slower rate in, so in, in your 30s, in your 40s. Um, muscle size tend to reduce by about what, 3 to 5% per decade. Okay, So the decline is little marginal and perhaps not very much noticeable in that mm. stage. But that decline isn't linear. When someone hits their 60s, we do start to see a slightly more accelerated decline in, say, muscle size. And that can be somewhere between 1% on an annual basis. And you think about it, 1%, 1%, 1%, it does tend to add up. Um, What happens if you think about skeletal muscle is it's not a a fixed organ. Mm. Muscle goes through this period of dynamic turnover where you have muscle that's being put on, being synthesized, muscle mm-hmm. protein being synthesized, and older muscle being broken down. And that happens throughout our entire life. The difference is when we're younger, you have a net gain in muscle protein synthesis. Mm. It builds up. When we hit our, thir- our 30s, our 40s, and obviously later in our 60s and later on, it's no longer a net gain. It's very much, unfortunately, a net deficit where muscle protein synthesis doesn't keep up with how quickly muscle is being broken down. So that's why we see that particular pattern, uh, like a hill that goes up, hit our 30s, and then it slowly, slowly declines. Mm. And that is why you, we also tend to see, I guess, physical changes in older adults, right? We see them sort of losing a mm. bit of that muscle as they age. Correct. So although we say sarcopenia as a diagnosis is a relatively recent, but if you, and we may not actually, if you think about it, do I know anybody who has sarcopenia as a diagnosis? And mm-hmm. that's probably not very many. Um, but if we look around us, we can certainly all relate to what happens to our muscles as we get older. Um, sadly, I'm in my 40s now, and, and I can certainly feel that I'm not as strong as I was, you know, even you know, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've put it all down to COVID-related weight. But, <laughs> but we can all relate to the fact that our muscles are just not as strong as they used to be. Um, so that decline does happen. We see it, we recognize it, we hear about it. And perhaps what we hope today's session may bring up is that actually some of this may indicate 
this condition called sarcopenia. And that losing muscle may not necessarily be part of natural, just natural aging. Mm. So what other causes might there be of sarcopenia? Okay, so anything that accelerates muscle loss, that's not good. Uh, and commonly, we see that happen in people who are not very active. So being sedentary, being physically inactive, perhaps not engaging in exercise, um, that's a very big risk factor in terms of developing um, sarcopenia or even developing decline in muscle performance. So that's one. Um, age, yes, we've covered that. Being ill, uh, requiring hospital care, requiring medical input, having mm. lots of comorbids. Unfortunately, these conditions do accelerate muscle breakdown as well. Mm. Now, since we're talking about muscles, I want to bring in another part of our musculoskeletal system, which is um, our bones, right? Mm. And you've been on the show before to talk about osteoporosis. Mm. And with osteoporosis, we hear that women are at higher risk because of the hormonal changes that they undergo after menopause. Mm -hmm. Is there a similar risk for women when it comes to sarcopenia? Okay. So the pathology behind these two conditions are slightly different. Mm -hmm. But in terms of who's more likely to develop it... Um, they both share similar risk profiles. So women, yes. Older age group, yes. Uh, the comorbidities, yes. So they do share similar risk profile. Um, although the pathology of what drives the disease is very different. Um, we do see both coexisting quite commonly. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have, uh, say, sarcopenia, you're four, five times more likely to have osteoporosis. Um, whenever we screen people with osteoporosis, uh, we find that about a third of them will have sarcopenia. So there is huge overlap. Um, and there's certainly emerging data that seem to suggest if you strengthen bones, muscles get strengthened too. And if you strengthen muscles, bones get strengthened too, which mm. suggests that, and I guess if you think about how close they are in terms of you know, muscle is bound to bone, mm -hmm. It's not surprising to see that interaction. Um, but beyond that, we think that there are also what we call crosstalk, where muscle also secretes signaling proteins and hormones, which influences bone health. And bone also secretes signaling proteins, which influence muscle. So they do share a very close relationship, uh, which is maybe unsurprising why we also see similar risk profiles for these two conditions. Mm. All right, we'll go for a quick break now and pick up this discussion shortly. On the show with me today is consultant geriatrician Dr. Terence Ong, and we are talking about sarcopenia, the muscle loss that you may undergo as you age, and how it's not necessarily wholly inevitable, and that there are things that can be done to halt its progression, which we will find out more about after the break. So keep it here on Health and Living, PFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Lim Su, and you're listening to an episode of our Healthy Aging series where we explore various health issues um, related to older adults. And today we're talking about sarcopenia, about the loss of um, muscle as you age. And before the break, um, Dr. Terence was talking about how there are three elements to muscle health, um, strength, size or bulk and performance and when you see a decline in two out of three uh, out of these three um, aspects then someone might be diagnosed with sarcopenia um 
Dr. Terence, you know, with many older adults, um, although I guess this is not necessarily the case for everyone, but for those who are living with family members, right? We may assume that, oh, it's just part of aging, that they're getting weaker or they may seem um, or they look like they're losing um, their muscle as the years pass. But what are some signs that it's something worse or something more concerning that should be referred to a healthcare professional, right? Mm -hmm. What are some changes in behaviour, I guess, that family members can look okay. out for? So um, we lose strength before noticeable muscle masses, uh, before you can see muscle mass loss being noticeable. Mm -hmm. So very much earlier on, um, say an older relative may say to you, you know, or you may notice that um, they used to be able to, say, walk to the nearby shop to mm -hmm. buy the newspaper. Now they say, oh, yeah, too tired already. They may be able to go up the flight of stairs in your house, no problem. Now you have to hold on to the rails. Now you have to stop halfway before you make it all the way to the top. Um, and these may be signs that your muscles might not be as strong as they used to be. But bearing in mind, it may also indicate other ailments. But that may be the first sign where you start to see that they're just not as strong as they used to be. They're getting tired and exhausted much easier. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is way before we see any shrinkage in muscle. Yeah, Because by then, sometimes, whether we can do something about it, whether the process is reversible. Uh, now, yeah, so one thing we haven't really covered is how sarcopenia isn't exactly you have or you don't have. Mm. And sarcopenia, like any chronic ailment, it's, it comes across a spectrum. You can have mild, you can have be moderate, it can be severe. Mm -hmm. So it moves across the spectrum. And just like how it can get worse with time, with the right intervention, you can also either arrest the decline mm -hmm. or perhaps even go the other way mm. and seek improvement in muscle mass or strength or performance. Hmm. How does it impact that older adult's sense of independence, of, okay. of their ability to just go about their daily routines, hmm. right? When they are struggling with this, um, in, with, with how sarcopenia is affecting their health without them actually realising what's wrong. Okay. So when sarcopenia has developed, where you've lost muscle mass or strength uh, beyond that, that threshold we talked about earlier on, uh, and when sarcopenia has set in, it is unfortunately associated with not very good outcomes. Mm -hmm. I think any health outcomes you can think of, whether that be uh, ability to ambulate, uh, ability to do daily living activities, um, the need to see a doctor, all those, unfortunately, um, they're not very good when someone develops sarcopenia. Um, we say if you've got sarcopenia, you're going to be at least two times more likely to fall. You're mm. going to be, you know, one and a half times more likely to suffer a broken bone since we talked about osteoporosis earlier on. So any outcome that you can think of um, is not good if one has sarcopenia. So then how do you determine if the patient has sarcopenia? I mean, you mentioned that to meet that two out of three yeah. um, criteria, but what sort of tests would you be doing? So a lot of these tests to confirm sarcopenia beyond just so muscle loss that we would expect for someone of that particular age. Um, a lot of this equipment still exists in specialist centres. So whether mm. that be hospitals, some gyms are able to do it, um, some wellness centres. But what this equipment would do is they would be able to assess how strong your muscles are. They would be able to assess the bulk of your muscle, the size of it. And they will also do certain tests to look at how well your muscles perform. So they do still fall 
very much within sort of certain gyms or hospitals type setting. But that doesn't mean that if you are sat at home or wherever you are listening to this, wondering, okay, what can I do then to mm-hmm. see whether my muscles are healthy or not? Uh, I mean, there are some things that you could do. Uh, perhaps uh, one that I could throw out there is something called a, a, a five-time sit-stand test. So all you need to do is find a chair without any armrests. Okay, so you cross your hands across your chest and you try and stand from a sitting position. And you do this five times, you know, stand, sit, stand, sit, do it for five times. And if you can do it in less than 12 seconds, Mm -hmm. chances are your muscles are pretty okay. If it's longer than 12 seconds, then perhaps it does indicate that there may be some impairment within your muscles. Now, bear in mind, not everybody can do this. Mm-hmm. If you've got you know, osteoarthritis, you've got pain in your joints, you've got back pain, that might obviously affect your ability to do it. But that's not a bad starting point mm. to look at this. Um, I know of some uh, relatives of older people who, who, who go on, say, online shopping sites. They buy Because you could buy uh, dynamometers, which are instruments to measure muscle strength mm-hmm. on, online. Um, I'm not saying don't. Uh, just to the caveat would be uh, many of these equipment may not be validated and perhaps may not be accurate. But what I do say to family members who decide to purchase some of these things to try out is at least it gives you an indicator lah, of whether there's something uh, of an issue or not. And talking about buying, yes, you could also buy uh, body composition analyzers. Mm-hmm. They're also available. You know, it tells you your fat percentage. Mm-hmm. Some of them even go as far as telling you your skeletal muscle mass percentage. So those are things that are out there, which you can use to see whether there may be a sign of muscle decline. But bearing in mind the caveat is, you know, these are not medical equipments. There may be issues with regards to its validity, accuracy, and so forth. Mm. Is it important that you know, family members come in to get that diagnosis? I mean, does that having that label matter? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, from where I am as a healthcare professional, I think uh, detection of sarcopenia is important. We know that it affects healthcare outcomes, such as, you know, things like healthcare utilisation, mortality, survival, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So we know it has a huge bearing on, uh, you know, how that older person will live their life going forward. So we do want to push for it, but also realising that it's still a fairly new diagnosis concept Mm -hmm. that many healthcare professionals may not fully understand what it means, how to do it, or even if you find it, what do you do about it? Mm. Um, Many may not have access to the treatment required to deliver it. So we're in that position now where we want to get people to be aware of it, to look for it, to diagnose it. But I think the ecosystem to manage it perhaps still need some work on. Um, but hopefully, sessions like this today, coming in, talking to you, that's a start. To at least, as a public, you can ask yourself or your loved one, you know, hmm, what's their muscle like? Mum and dad, hmm, seems to be slower. Mm-hmm. And have they got this? And then talk it through with a healthcare professional. You can even say, I've done that, you know, five times sit-stand test. <laughs> and the doctor say, if it's more than 12 seconds, which my relative one is, then there might be something wrong. So that may be the start, lah. Mm. Education is always the starting point, right? As we say in a lot of things. Yeah, indeed. And I think uh, a lot of the times, certainly with regards to healthcare, 
ownership of what's going on plays a very big part in driving uh, the healthcare that we want and we should get. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about management, right? Considering this is a fairly new disease, um, what options are there? You know, are we talking about medications like a lot of other conditions or are we talking about lifestyle changes? Okay. So uh, a, a new not necessarily a new disease, but certainly the diagnostic classification yes. came out in 2016. Uh, in terms of what we can do, um, the one which has certainly the most evidence is exercise and nutrition. Mm-hmm. Similar to you think about the way athletes perform and how we want to maximise the mm-hmm. performance, it all comes down to exercise and nutrition. Uh if we talk about exercise, there are different types of exercise, which does different things to make muscles stronger. What needs the type of exercise that's required is what we call resistance or strength training, where you get the muscle to work against some sort of resistance. Um, for instance, uh, lifting weights, that's an example of a resistance exercise. Many older people may not be able to lift big weights, mm-hmm. but even if you can say you know, bicep curl a can of beans, that's some form of resistance exercise. It doesn't have to be a huge weight. No. So with exercise, it always has to be tailored to whatever the individual can do. Um, and our approach to exercise has always been, you know, start you know, negotiate some sort of realistic goal, mm-hmm. work towards that, and then progress as you go along. Um, so, yep, it could be a can of beans. It could be a heavier can of beans. <laughs> it could be a pack of rice, you know. And there are things within the house that we can easily utilise. But the point is, the type of exercise to strengthen muscles has to be some form of resistance exercise. And the exercise, so if you were to just do bicep curls, mm-hmm. you were just lifting, you know, rice or can of beans, whatever it might be. All you're doing is just strengthening muscles in the arm that you're exercising. Mm. So if you want to strengthen muscles in the legs, for instance, then it has to be lower limb muscle exercises. Um, and coming up to, to BFM today, I walked up a flight of stairs and there was a big poster there that says, you know, do you take the stairs, it strengthens your muscles. And going upstairs is actually a pretty good muscle strengthening exercise because you're working against gravity. Mm. Okay. So there are things that you can look around your house and see what you can use and adapt to do some of these very simple exercises. Uh, to get an older person to go to the gym, uh, which is some of the things that we, one of those things that we do try and push, uh, some sort of structured exercise, that's perhaps the goal. But mm-hmm. if that's a step too far, yeah, look at what you can do to do muscle strengthening exercises at home. Starting small and then working your way up from there, right? Correct, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to go and run a marathon uh, from a sit- you know, I won't go from couch to running marathons immediately, but I would do 5K, 10K, half, and maybe a marathon if I so fancy it. But it's about grading like, and it's about making that progression. So if you use that climbing stairs example, for instance, you know, okay, go up and downstairs, no problem. You can buy ankle weights. Mm. Um, many of the health shops have got ankle weights. You put them down, you increase their resistance. So, But yeah, the focus is resistance exercise as much as a person can do and you gradually increase it over time. Hmm. To what extent can sort of an older adult put back 
muscle, put on muscle, right? Because we've heard stories of, you know, some individuals who after retirement, they've discovered a new hobby, a new passion in sports and they mm. pick it up and they really um, sort of get into fitness a lot and, and you see them making that transformation, mm. right? And of course, not everyone is like an Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> um, that one is perhaps one extreme of, of the spectrum. But I guess, how do you, in, in terms of managing expectations, to what extent can someone build back the muscle? Okay. Um Muscle, as uh, mentioned earlier, it's, it has this dynamic turnover process. Mm-hmm. You know, muscle being broken down, muscle being put on, broken down, put on, broken, put on. And we talked about this net muscle loss, which unfortunately happens as we get older. Yep. So to improve muscle, all it requires is to minimize breakdown and increase muscle protein synthesis. So, and if you can get that net gain back again, then yes, muscle health will improve. We've talked about exercise as one way of putting on muscle, mm-hmm. stimulating muscle protein synthesis. Exercise does that. Um, because being inactive, being set uh, at home, being stuck in bed, not doing very much, by being inactive, being sedentary, it actually accelerates muscle breakdown. So to talk about improving muscle health, it's all about, like I said, minimizing how much muscle is broken down and improving muscle synthesis. And it's all about making sure that there's always a continuous net gain. And yes, we do hear lots of really inspiring stories about people in their later life who decide to pick up running and, and do amazing feats like, and mm-hmm. put people like me to shame. <laughs> What's sad is these are the exception, not the norm. Mm. But physiologically, we know it is possible. The problem is to do the things that's required to be able to perform like that. And that's where maybe goal setting comes in. And many, for many older people, their aim is not to do 10K runs. Their aim is perhaps to be able to get to the local shop, still buy their newspaper without mm-hmm. feeling that they've run a marathon by the time they bought their newspaper. Mm. So, so it comes down to a very practical thing. So we sit in clinic, for instance, we ask them, okay, what is it that you want to do? Okay, you want to play with your grandchildren. You don't want to feel absolutely exhausted. Like you need a holiday after your grandchildren come to visit you. Okay, so we need to look at muscle strengthening stuff. This is what we can do. Exercise, you know, you and I, we do some exercise. We know it can be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It can, you know, cause a degree of discomfort. It's tiring, you know. So trying to get perhaps an older person to do exercise, not always the easiest thing. Mm. I mean, lifestyle changes in general are not yeah. always easy, right? Uh, when you're set in doing a certain way and behaving a certain way to try and alter that, not always easy. And this before we even talk about nutrition, about eating the right things to promote muscle growth, uh, to get them to you know eat less of this so they eat more of that. So yeah, there's a lot of health changes that do have to take place to improve muscle health. Mm. Um, so a lot of time, perhaps may not be improving. Why not just do enough to sustain muscle performance. That's it. Mm. So that over the coming years, because we know that if we did nothing, you just carry on as you are, you will see that continuous annual decline in the way your muscles perform. Mm. Now, some older adults may be bedbound or have mobility issues, right? Mm. In such cases, then what? How how do you get them moving, or how how what sort of exercises would be suitable? Okay. Um, if an older person is bedbound, then it in a way tells us that there may be underlying medical problems, mm-hmm. perhaps the underlying disability or dependency issue, which is why they have 
They can only be in bed. So then it comes down to what I said earlier, what is the aim of muscle health then? Because mm. we're not going to get them to go do stairs or walk to the toilet. Yep. So a lot of the time in that situation, it's the goal of maintaining muscle health is just to, say, prevent contractures from developing, uh, to be able to, they can still maybe turn in bed. So the goal setting is maybe very different. But if let's say someone, and what we see a lot more often is someone who stays stuck in chair, okay, perhaps in a wheelchair, and they want to do exercises. Maybe they've had many falls, so they're very scared. You ask them to walk, uh, then they fall. So that fear of falling stops them from wanting to participate in exercises. Mm -hmm. Now, the beauty about strengthening muscle is that you can actually do it sitting down. Mm -hmm. um, you can go on one of these uh, video streaming platforms, you look up chair-based exercises and there are lots of them out there. All one would maybe need is a simple thing I can think of, like an elastic tension band. Mm. Uh, and again, these, uh, they're relatively cheap. You can purchase from any health shop. So tension band, you can put it around the hips and get the hips to, to, to abduct. You can put it around the knees, get the knees to flex against tension bands. But um, sometimes all you need if you're worried about uh, the older person, your family members falling away if they were to do exercise, you can do it sitting down. And a tension band can provide lots of muscle strengthening exercises and can be delivered with them sitting down. Now, obviously, the aim is to get them standing up and walking if that's the ultimate goal. But starting there... You work your way towards Correct. Managing expectations, progressing, that's it. Mm -hmm. So then let's move on to diet, right? What sort of dietary changes are we talking about? So... Um, to build muscle, need protein. Mm -hmm. Protein, protein, protein. Okay? Then it comes down to how much protein. Um, so for an older person, so we talk about just the older age group, mm -hmm. uh, we would recommend somewhere between 1 to 1.5 grams per kilograms per day. Okay? If your muscles are very weak, if you've got lots of medical problems, we tend to favour the higher end of that reference, the, the 1.5 grams per kilogram per day. So what does that come out to? Okay, uh, on the spot mats. So that's about 60 to 90 grams of protein a day. Okay, not bad. Um, is that a lot? To put it into context, uh, 250 mils of uh, fresh milk, mm -hmm. that's uh, what, eight, no, a bit more than that. Um, that's about yeah, 8.5 grams of protein. An egg has got about 6 to 8 grams of protein. So it's a lot of protein to be, to be consuming. But that's certainly what would be required to facilitate muscle protein synthesis. Uh, so it does come down to protein, protein, protein. Um, looking at the diet, can you get that naturally uh, through meat, through eggs, through milk? If that's difficult, then perhaps supplements is where that comes into the picture. And there are protein supplements in the market, uh, which we do recommend uh, if you're serious about building muscle and that particular person isn't able to meet those protein requirements naturally. Mm. But when it comes to supplement, is that something that they should be discussing with their healthcare provider first before sort of embarking on that on their own? Oh, definitely. I think with regards to any supplements, do have a chat with a healthcare professional whether it's the right thing to do or not. Um, too much protein is not a good thing as well, causes kidney problems. So that's something worth thinking about. 
Um, to know if, if you're interested to know how much protein one is consuming, we do have, thankfully, things like apps, mm-hmm. uh, nutritional calculators these days. All you put in is you know how much egg you've consumed, how much meat you've consumed, and it does give you an idea like, of how much protein one's consuming. Asian diets, like Malaysian diets, unfortunately, rich in carbs, not much in everything else. Yes. <laughs> uh, we do love our carbs. So I think almost all the patients I come across do lack la protein. And, and, but yeah, protein, protein, protein. Mm. I want to sort of wrap up this discussion by taking a bigger picture look on this issue of muscle health and mm. sarcopenia that we're talking about, right? I think a lot of us probably think that it's un- it's inevitable or you can't do anything to halt it mm. or to even reverse it mm-hmm. if an older adult is struggling with um, muscle weakness. But how does that perception then impact people's willingness to make those changes that we've been talking about? Whew. If I had an easy solution and answer <laughs> to that question. Um, it is unfortunate that many things happen as we get older that we just accept mm-hmm. as, oh, just getting older, law. Mm. I get tired, my muscles are weak, yeah, getting older, law. But perhaps we do need to try and break that myth. Uh, We talk a lot about healthy aging. Um, But maybe what we don't talk a lot about is if some deficiency has occurred, that we could potentially do something about that to prevent it from getting worse. Okay, bad already. Mm. But let's try and do what we can to make sure your bad doesn't become worse. And the same goes for any other chronic ailments and any organ deterioration. But when you talk about muscles, um, I certainly do not subscribe to the fact that we can't do anything about it. I agree that at the background, we will always have this net loss in muscle as we get older. But that decline, we can do something about. Whether it is to slow the decline, whether it's to make sure that you get a net zero, mm-hmm or if you begin to work very, very hard, to even look at net gain. It is modifiable. We can do something, but the first step is acknowledging that something can be done about it. And to take ownership over your own health. Correct. Spot on. And to wrap up our discussion today, Dr. Terence, what would your message be to our listeners? Simple one. Uh, now's the time to maybe just have a think about your own muscle health. If you have older relatives, have a think about their muscle health and how that has changed in the last, say, you know, 12 months or so. And if there is a decline, like I said, there are simple things that you can do to see whether there is an issue or not. If there is one, take that next step. Seek advice from a healthcare professional. Ask the question, got sarcopenia or not? And then try and see if we could tap you, your loved one, to some resources to try and test that. And thankfully, um, there is a huge amount of growing literature out there which you can look up on the internet uh, to try and help you navigate this condition, which is still relatively new. Mm -hmm. But what's going on, the weakness in muscle, we can all relate to. So yeah, help is out there. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Terence. Thank you very much.
I've been speaking to consultant geriatrician Dr. Terence Ong on our Healthy Aging series about sarcopenia and why it's important that we take care of our muscle health. I'm Lim Suen and this has been Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.